Hey Kislev, Taf Shin, Ayin Zion, coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York. I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. <laughs> Of Shweki opens things up here as we are live <clears throat> on the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Mayor Weingarten. Thank you so much for joining us and making us a part of your week. We are here each and every Monday, immediately following JM in the AM, which translates to 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Israel Time. <clears throat> but in addition to our being live, in addition to this wonderful ability to speak to all of you directly, we are also available on demand. 
You can listen to this program whenever you like. Later in the day, many people listen later in the day. They're at work. They're busy now. They can't. They can't listen, but they want to hear the show. They want to hear the music. They want to hear the talk. They listen whenever they like. They do so how? You may ask on the Nachum Siegel Network app, of course. The Nachum Siegel Network app has an archives. Has a little archives button there on the on the top side, you click the little button and it says NSN Archives, part of the menu. And you go there and you pick the Israel show and you can pick any one of, uh, of the shows we've done. And you know, we are, this week, we are now one week into our fifth year. So there's a heck of a lot of shows out there to listen to. And we hope you continue to listen and um, join us here every week. Listen whenever you like, live or on demand via the, via the Nachum Siegel Network app or the website, NachumSiegel.com. Great way as well to listen live or or the archives. And, of course, there's a phone number, a listen line that you can uh, tune into as well. Uh, Nachum's been discussing that for uh, for quite a while now. What is it? Is this the right one? 605-562-4400. If it's wrong, somebody will tell me via the app, but I believe that's it. And uh, my... Uh, my email listens in that way every week. So thank you so much. And um, here's what we do. We play music and we speak about things going on in Israel. And we try to bring you either stories that you wouldn't hear otherwise on the news. We try to bring you uplifting little vignettes from the land of Israel. But we also try to clue, clue you in to the major stories of the day. And that's what we're going to try and do today today. We'll say it's part one, because usually when I plan to do something like this, I run out of time. So I'm initially starting out by saying this is part one of a discussion which will, which is brought about by the situation in the town of Amona. The town of Amona is in the Shomron. It is a suburb of Ofra. In the Shomron, Ofra is the first, basically, pretty much the first big yeshuv in Yehuda and Shomron. Uh, Amona was established about 20 years ago. There are about 50 families living there. Um, it was thought when they went to live there that the, the land that they are on did not belong to anyone, did not belong to any uh, Arab previously. And so in good faith, they went and, and uh, settled there and have been living their lives there. And uh, over the years, it has uh, it, it has been attested to the fact that the land, some of it, a small part of it, does seem to have private Arab ownership. The Israeli courts, who are very strict about um, this type of thing, the Israeli courts decided that the town of Amona has to be moved. Basically, the houses, the town destroyed. The Jews that are living there expelled from their homes, and the government would have to rebuild the town somewhere else where there's no private property claims. This has been, this judgment has been pushed off and pushed off and pushed off, and finally the court said, that's it, there's, that's enough, and has demanded from the government that by December the 25th, means 20 days from now, by December 25th, the government must carry out the ruling of the high court. And as, as I guess, in all of, my life is surely like this. You know, when crunch time, when you get close to the crunch time, you start you start getting busy. And so this has been uh, a big issue now for the last few weeks. And uh, the government, and uh, especially the Bayit HaYehudi Party, led by Naftali Bennett and Ayelet Shaked, the ministers of education and minister of justice, respectively, have been trying to craft a new proposal called Chok HaHazdara, it seems that this morning in Israel, Israel time, some compromise agreement was reached. We'll try and cover the basic history for you as we go along in the show. And next week, we'll cover the rest. But just to give you, those of you who are following the story, and know it well, to, to, to bring you up to today, the, the Knesset, it seems, it, it is hoped, will approve a compromise agreement which will not allow Amona to remain where it is. Amona will have to be destroyed and the Jews expelled. However, it will give the Israeli government a way, a legal way, through legislation in the Knesset, 
to take care of such situations in the future, and such situations will surely come up in the future, and therefore many uh, are seeing this compromise as a victory, albeit a sad one. We'll get all into it a little as we go on in the show. We're going to go to some music. Here's a huge favorite. Poogie with Yoya. Need I say more? My name is Mayor Wangart, and you're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nahum Siegel Network.
from the last performance of Poogie, the last concert in the park album. That was Yo-Ya. Going out to all the big Poogie and Yo-Ya fans. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Single Network. Thank you so much for being here with us. Um, as we told you, we're going to give you the background regarding the status, the legal status, and other, maybe also the religious status, of the area in Israel that we know as Yehuda and Shomron, and that uh, most of the world calls, and I would say erroneously, the West Bank. The area roughly in the heart of Israel, if you take a map of Israel, in the heart of it is Yerushalayim, to the north and to the south, Yehudan Shamron. I trust that most of you know the map. And we're going to give you the historical background because without the context, it is really impossible to understand the situation that is presenting itself all constantly, all the time. You hear one of the first things that uh, President Obama discussed when he was elected, when he came to office, one of the first things in his foreign policy was the state of Israel has to stop settlements in the West Bank, quote-unquote. It was a big hoopla and a, and, and a huge ado in, in the United States. And the pressure on Prime Minister Netanyahu was tremendous. Why? Why did does the Obama administration say... Israel has to stop living, settling, establishing towns and villages and cities in an area called Yudan Shomron, what they call the West Bank. Why? And why is it that as recently as yesterday, Secretary of State, not for too long, thank God, John Kerry said the settlements are an obstacle to peace, you know, whatever language he, you know, gobbledygook language he used. So we're going to go back in history and try and explain, break it down for you as much as possible. And as far as we get this week, we'll continue next week. As we said, the big news has been announced that there has been a compromise reached, which is rather historic. And we'll try, and, we'll try and mention it again at the end. I want to thank, before we start, I want to thank two people that really helped me with uh, background source material, Hillel Findel and uh, Rav Netanel Yeshiv. Both of them get a big thank you and shout out from us. So the area, the piece of land that, that is now defined as Israel, all-inclusive, including Yehuda and Shamron, until World War I, and for hundreds of years before that, who controlled it? Who, who was the sovereign? And the answer is, it was under the rule of Turkey, of all, of all countries to imagine. Because at the time, Turkey was not just one country, it was an empire that controlled most of the Middle East. It was known as the Ottoman Empire. After World War I, all of the Middle East changed. Everything changed after World War I. Why? Because the Ottoman Empire was on the losing side. The winners were the United States, Britain, France, etc. The losers were Germany and the uh, Ottoman Empire, for sure. And the countries that won decided that Eretz Israel. What is today the land of Israel plus what is today the country called Jordan, that that entire area, which was known on the maps of the world as Palestine, that area was given over to England. And England was made like a trustee over Eretz Israel. And they gave them, the, the nations of the world, the winners of World War I, gave England an assignment. Your assignment is to take this area and create a Jewish homeland in it. Work with the people who live there. Help them establish whatever is needed 
to run their lives as an independent entity. That means setting up a government, setting up a, a structure of, of rule, right? In America, we have a whole checks and balances system. Europe has a little bit of a different type of system. So their job was to set that up, set up government agencies, schools, although a lot of that already existed, was set up by the Jewish agency. That was Britain's job. That was the mandate that they were given. And hence, this was called the British Mandate. And the British Mandate was in charge of Palestine from the early 1920s till, um, till 1948. The British basically did a rotten, lousy job. Boy, did they mess it up. They messed up the entire Middle East. In fact, everything that we're seeing in the Middle East today, all the unrest, all the crazy fighting between Shia and Sunni, between Alawites and Syria and the others, the whole situation in Iran and Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, all the craziness, it is all a result, well, I shouldn't say all, but greatly the result of the foolish things that Britain, Great Britain and the Allies did after World War I, where they just took swaths of land and said, okay, this now is, this is Iraq, Iraq, this is Syria, this is this, this is that, this is Saudi Arabia, and took different tribes, Arab tribes, and said, okay, you're in charge of this, you're in charge of that, and so forth, without thinking about who these people are, who, who, which different groups might be in the same territory under the same quote-unquote national identity, but really hate each other and want to kill each other and so forth. And so whenever Britain says anything about anything in the Middle East, <laughs> just think to yourself, it's your fault. Well, comes 1946, 47, post-Holocaust, hundreds of thousands of Jewish refugees are clamoring to get into Eretz Israel. The British don't know what to do. The Arabs are rioting. Nothing's changed. The Arab terror was a weapon used as a, a political weapon. Terror used as a political weapon did not start with Yasser Arafat. It didn't start in 1967. This was going on for decades and decades before the establishment of the State of Israel. So the British said, that's it. We've had it. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like kids sometimes, right? They're playing with toys. Then they're fighting with other you know, kids or siblings or whatever. And then the toy breaks. And now the kids say, you know what? I don't want to play with that toy anymore. Here. <laughs> so Britain messed up the situation in Eretz Israel. The Arabs were were um, allowed to riot, were given arms. The Jews were unfortunately put down to a great extent by the British. And so the British said, we're out. And this United Nations, which was a relatively new body, was to make a decision. The 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 were the nations that comprised this organization called the United Nations. The British said, here, this is, this is what we have. This is Palestine. You make a decision. Now, I must add that in 1922, the British took a huge chunk of what they were mandated to use as a Jewish state. They took a huge chunk and they gave it to the Hashemite tribe. And that is what is today Jordan. The country of Jordan today was basically a huge chunk of land, and if you look at its borders, its eastern borders, they're basically lines that were drawn with a ruler by some British, you know, officer or, 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 or pakid. That was arbitrarily given to the Hashemite family, who still, the king of Jordan is, 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 the, um, is the successor of of his father, his father's father, and so forth. And why are they in any way 
a legitimate country more than Israel? Yeah, there is no reason. And so what was left in 1946, 47, when the British said, that's it, we're out, is what is now known as the West Bank of the Jordan River. That means the East Bank was given away by the British to the Hashemites, which is now the country of Jordan. What's left is the, the Eretz Israel that we have today, including Yehudan Shemron, and the UN has to decide what to do. The Jews and the Arabs that live in these areas are fighting. The Arabs are basically attacking and terrorizing the Jews. The Jews are trying to defend themselves. What to do? What to do? We're going to break for some music. And then we'll come back and tell you the rest of the story. And how appropriate is this? Shalom lach eretz nehederet. This version of it, it's, it's originally uh, done by Yehoram Gaon classically, but this version was done especially for the Nachum Siegel Network for a previous year's halftime show by Soul Farm. Here they are. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Yeah, that's 
In our Meir Milim segment, we shed light on a word or phrase in the Hebrew language. Meir Milim is inspired by the Galei Tzahal radio segments of Dr. Avshalom Kor and informed by the teachings of Dr. Lior Gottlieb. Here is this week's installment. Yaakov's sons are plotting what to do with their brother Yosef. Their initial idea, kill him. But then Yehuda says, Ma betza ki what betza is there if we kill our brother? Let's sell him. Ma betza? What is betza? Betza di ayin? In this pasuk, it means benefit. What benefit will we derive from this? Expanding it a bit further, what's the ultimate benefit that one could want from a deal? Usually, money. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him and make some shacks. Betza means benefit and is chiefly used in Tanakh to denote monetary benefit. We use the same exact phrase in our daily tefillah, Ma betza bedami beridati el shachat. We tell God what is to be gained from my death, from my descent into the grave. Hayotcha afar, hayagida mitecha. Can dust praise you? Once I'm dead, I'm dust of the earth. Open parentheses. I love how we use our own logic to try and convince God to do something that we really want. If I die, we reason with God. You, God, you lose out. You gain nothing by my death because dead people can't sing your praises. It's not about me. Clearly, God, it's in your best interest to keep me alive. I really hope God doesn't fall for that. Close parentheses. Mabetza, what benefit? What benefit is there to a particular act? When Moshe looks to appoint judges, we're given a list of attributes that he should look for. What are the qualifications? God-fearing, trustworthy, people who hate, who have contempt for betza. Okay, so betza means monetary gain, benefit. But wait. Listen to this. We show new the Mikrai Kodesh, Mikrai Kodesh, Yom Shabbat, Yom Shabbat Kodesh, Shabbat Kodesh, We sing on Friday night. On Shabbat, the Jewish people, referred to here as Timimim, use two loaves of bread. What does Lechem have to do with money? And no, it's not the dough. What is Yivtsu? Livtsoa means to slice, to cut, to break off a piece. The phrase Botsim et hapat, to slice the bread or the loaf, appears often in the Talmud and in Halacha. Hilchot bitziat hapat. Bitziah is the act of cutting the bread or the challah. Al shteilechem yivtsuutmimim on Shabbat, the bitziat hapat is done with two loaves of bread. Shteilechem. And we have the exact same concept in English. We break bread together. Botseah is to break, to cut. And there's a third use of the root, bet tzadi ayin. We don't find it often in Tanakh, but it's there. Levatseah is to complete the job. Yedei Zrubavel yizdu habayit hazeh. Zrubavel founded this second Beit HaMikdash. V'yadav tivatsana. And his hands will complete the job. Levatseah. In modern Hebrew, levatseah means to complete. And it all ties in well because to complete something is also lachtochinyan, to cut. Israel has had many military operations. Operation Yonatan in Entebbe, Operation Moses in Solomon in Ethiopia. In Hebrew, they are called Mivtsa Yonatan, Mivtsa Moshe. Livatseya in modern Hebrew is to carry out, to complete a mission. And hence the word for mission itself becomes Mivtsa. How did the word for cutting and slicing and finishing 
becomes a word for benefit and money. Mabetza, money, in the days of old, gold or silver, would be melted into long, narrow bars. When you wanted to use some money, you broke off a piece of gold or silver and handed it over. Money was produced by slicing or breaking off pieces of precious metal from a bigger chunk. Botsea, the word to slice, to cut, becomes another word for money. We should note that in Tanakh, when the word betza is used for money, it almost always means ill-gotten gains. Well, I sum it up, it's right on the money. Botsea means to slice, to cut. Betsia tapat. Livatsea means to finalize, to complete. Lachtochinyan. And hence, money, which was created by breaking off pieces of precious metal, is betza. And that's this week's edition of the Meir Milim segment. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Kobe O's, great Israeli artist, covers Shlomo Kalbach's Chemdat Yamim. Here on the Israel Show, my name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Nachum Siegel Network. We, the Israel Show, is sponsored by Nefesh Benefesh. Oh my gosh, what an amazing organization this is. They have one purpose, and that is to help Olim, potential Olim, 
come to Israel from the Western world, especially from the United States, and they do so much to make that happen. First of all, they give financial aid to people who need financial aid. There are people who want to make Aliyah. They want to go live in Israel, but they don't have that seed money that is necessary to make the move. Nefesh Benefesh is there. They help people find employment, which is crucial for Klita. In order to be absorbed properly in Israel, you need to have a job. You need to have uh, a, a working position. And Nefesh Benefesh helps you with that. They help you get through all the bureaucracies. They cut out a lot of the bureaucracies. They're an amazing organization. Just take a look at their website. You will see what they do. This is just a great example of how sometimes people that are not the government will do a better job than people that are almost the government. Nefesh Benefesh, www.nbn nefesh b nefesh nbn dot org dot il triple w dot nbn dot org dot il the israel show is proud to be sponsored by nefesh benefesh they are revolutionizing aliyah and um we're going to continue this uh, survey of the history that brought us to the place we are in in yudan shamron going, of course, slower than I expected, which is not unusual. So now, the United Nations has to make a decision. We're going to ha- take this area that is now called Palestine, what is left of the original area, and we have to decide how to deal with it. The Jews, the Arabs, they're fighting, they're squabbling, they have a committee, they appoint a committee to make a committee, to find the committee, to discuss the whether there should be a committee, and so forth. And finally, there is a recommendation by the UN Committee on Palestine. And the recommendation is, oh, we'll split it. (laughs) It's sort of like they forgot that they already split it in 1922, giving Jordan, the Hashemite uh, tribe, and its leadership, what we now know as Jordan, and what was left of Eretz Israel was what we have today, including Yudan Shamron. No, no, no. That's that's like the Arabs like to do that. It's They call it the salami system, right? So we ch- cut off a chunk of the salami and we take it. And then we say, oh, wait, look, this salami that's left over, we want part of it. No, but you have a part of it already. No, 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 but, but look, why should you have all of this? Take another chunk and split that and so forth and until you're not left with any of the salami. So the UN, in, on November the 29th, 1947, what's known in Israel as Haftet bin November, votes to divide Eretz Israel between Jews and Arabs. Two states, a Jewish one and an Arab one. You hear that? Two states, a Jewish one and an Arab one. A two-state solution. That's what it was. When? Almost 70 years ago. Well, the Jews were cheering. The Arabs, on the other hand said, no, 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 no. We don't accept that. We want everything, and we don't want the Jews to have anything. We want the Jews dead. And it's important to note, the Jews, the Jewish establishment, headed by David Ben-Gurion and so forth, accept this decision don't take that for granted because more than half of Eretz Israel was being taken away from the Jewish people. If you look at a map of what the United Nations designated as a Jewish state, oh my gosh, it's tiny. It's three areas, very small area in the north, a strip along the coast, and most of the, the Jewish state was to be the desert, the Negev. You got to look at a map. Just go on Google. Look, UN partition map 1947. You'll see it. And just to give you an idea of how not taken for granted this should be, that the Jews accepted that half of Eretz Israel was taken away from them. Famously, Rav Tzvi Yehuda Cook said that while the Jews were dancing, that finally, finally, the UN decided there should be a Jewish state. It was something. They were dancing in the street on November 29th. He, Rav Tzvi Yehuda, was in mourning over the fact that Eretz Yisrael was being ripped apart. So even though not all the Jews accepted it, the, the ruling party, the socialist left, 
decided that you got to take what you can get and then we'll deal with the rest later. That was their attitude. Let's, didn't, they didn't feel that the parts that were designated for the Arabs are not Israel. Clearly, everybody understood that places like Hebron and Shechem and the old city of Yerushalayim, Harazetim, Harazofim, and so forth, everybody understood that these were the heart, this, this, this is the heart of Eretz Israel. But everything in politics, I guess, is about compromise. And at the time, that was the decision of the majority of the Jews living in Eretz Israel. We're going to accept a compromise, even though it hurts, even though it's ripping us apart. And the Arabs, most of you know, the Arab position was, no, no compromise, we want it all. The Arabs and many around the world, by the way, not only the Arabs, most, most of the State Department in the United States, they were sure that the Arabs will start a war once the British leave, and they'll defeat the Jews. They'll kill all the Jews. There will be a massacre. There will be Holocaust number two, just two, three years after the end of World War II, after the Shoah. And that was a huge risk that the leadership took. And you should know it wasn't easy. That in the vote whether to accept this and ultimately meaning go to war, the vote amongst the, the, the then pre-government, the Jewish agency, was very close because people were afraid and it was the courage of David Ben-Gurion that, that won the day and made this happen. And God helped us. God helped us with the miracle of Israel's war of independence. So now, now we have a question. There, the, in, in the Israeli War of Independence, Israel was able to expand somewhat the initial territory that was designated to it by the UN. Now you have the map, and, and try and envision it in your head, and if you can't, then, then for sure, if you don't know what Israel looked like, the map of Israel between 48 and, and 67, go to Google, Google Israel borders, 1948, 1950, and so forth, pre-1967, whatever. It'll all show you the same thing. The whole middle part, it's, it's sort of like you have a challah and you take out the middle part. So that the, you have the whole area of Israel, and in the middle, there's a chunk that is Yerushalayim in the center, the Shamron above it to the north, Yehuda to the south. And Yerushalayim, which was to be according to the UN, an international zone not ruled by any country, was split. A border ran through the city. Uvelibachoma, as Naomi Shemer beautifully wrote. So now that middle part, and on most maps it's designated by a green border, and hence it's called the green line. The parts of Eretz Israel that are now not under Jewish control who 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 gets who gets that what happened to that area that the un designated allotted for the arab state that area that we call yudav shamron and others call the west bank who does it belong to it, it really belongs to nobody right the gov- the un said you're going to get jews are going to get this the arabs are going to get that the arabs say no 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 we don't we we reject this whole agreement we reject the concept they go to war and they lose they rejected the agreement the area of Yehudan Shamron is now sort of in limbo. You can't go to war, lose, and then say, oh no, I changed my mind now. No, no, it doesn't work that way. So Jordan says, huh, you know what? I'll take it. They just take things or are given things, just like that. So in 1950, two years later, Jordan decides to dis- declare itself the sovereign over Yehudan Shamron. So understand that there was never ever in the history of mankind an Arab state, an Arab independent state in Yehuda and Shomron. So why should Jordan be allowed to say, oh, it's mine, and claim ownership? Why not Israel? Why can't Israel go and claim ownership? Well, the fact is that none of the, no country of the countries of the world recognized Jordan's claim on Yehuda and Shomron. People forget that. Jordan was a foreign 
occupier of Yehuda and Shomron from 1948 till 1967. An occupation that was not recognized by any country in the world except, believe it or not, England and Pakistan. And then in 1967, Jordan attacks Israel. Israel defends itself, and as we all know, Yudan Shamron are, we're going to use the word, controlled by Israel. So now Israel controls the entire area. Think about it. Who, who does this belong to? Depends who you ask. Many will say, the Jewish people returned home. Historic Yushalayim, Hebron, Shechem. Those like Rav Tzvi Yehuda Kuk saw this as a correction, so to speak, of the 1948 division of Eretz Israel. We've, we've now been able to take what Ben-Gurion said, we'll take what we can get now and we'll deal with the rest later. This was dealing with the rest later. That was God opening the, the, the opportunity to us, the window. But <laughs> the ruling government of Israel at the time, which was the socialist left, the labor government, they saw these quote-unquote territories as a bargaining chip. It wasn't we're coming home to the homeland, or maybe it was, maybe they felt it was, and yet it was a bargaining chip. Moshe Dayan, Israel Galili, Levi Eshkol, on some level Yigal alone of the Israeli left, had a basic concept. The concept was the Arabs wanted territories back, so to speak, that included the Golan and Syria, that included the Sinai and Egypt, and Yehudan Shamron and Jordan. So in exchange for peace and recognition of Israel, Israel said to the Arabs, we'll trade, we'll, we'll have a swap. And so it was established, not by our enemies, but by the sovereign Jewish government of Israel, a formula that haunts us till this very day, land for peace. So you see, ladies and gentlemen, we've been here before. A two-state solution, land for peace. We've been through all these things before, not so long ago. Dear people who are still alive, who remember all these events. And what else happened that continues till this very day? No Arab accepted the concept of land for peace. No Arab accepted the idea. No Arab country, no Arab leader agreed to land for peace. So Israel's left, especially Moshe Dayan, thought they understood the Arab mind, the Arab psyche. Not. The Arabs are proud. And in 1967, Israel humiliated them. The God of Israel did miracles for his people. And until the shame is somehow removed, reversed, there's no talking, no recognition, no nothing. That's where things stood between 1967 and let's say, for the next 20 years or so. And we will continue this, God willing, next week. The point, to put closure on it, is that the areas of Yehudan Shomron should not be thought of by us as being occupied by Israel. In the worst case, if you want to think about it like from someone from the outside, it's an area that's in dispute but it is an area that never belonged legally in the modern era. It never really belonged to anyone. And so if Jews decide to settle in place X or place Y, what claim can a land registry of the Jordanian government, let's say, what claim can that give a person? If the government of Jordan decided to allocate certain pieces of land it wasn't theirs. It was not there within their right to allocate it to somebody. And so if the land that now the town of Amona sits on is quote-unquote private property that was stolen from somebody, that's the claim, then the answer should be no. It, it really wasn't stolen from anybody. And it belongs to the Jewish people as much, if not more, than to anyone else. To be continued. We're going to wrap things up with um, Udi Davidi. His song, Gru'u Ve'orish Zareach, beautiful song about the Geula in which we are in the midst of. Gru'u Ve'orish, Udi Davidi. We will post, and we do this every week, at the uh, little after the show, we will post links to every song that we've played during, the, uh, during our show. We will post links to YouTube videos so you can listen to the songs whenever you want. They're gr- it's great music and Usually we also bring you new music from Israel that's coming out that, that is really fantastic and old nostalgic stuff. All the links on the YouTube page, www.fa- um, on the Facebook page, 
facebook.com slash the israel show facebook.com slash the israel show please like the page we uh we're close to 410 likes we like to keep growing it take a look give us a like facebook.com slash the israel show thank you so much for tuning in thanks for for all your comments on the app and on the facebook page thanks to the staff of the nachum siegel network and my very special thanks as always to nachum siegel coming up Music mix followed by headlines with David Lichtenstein and then the great Monday music marathon. Until next Monday, immediately following JM in the AM, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race. Thank you.